welcome to the Pet Grooming Business Podcast with me, Bill Betts, where we give practical business advice to help you grow your pet grooming business. So without further ado, let's get going. Here we are. Welcome, everyone. I'm joined today by Stephanie. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Getting on smoothly <laughs> <laughs> smoothly jolly good so um you are a best-selling author yep best-selling author of i can be a dog uh, detective and the magic of holistic grooming yep. so that's pretty awesome uh and you run or own the holistic grooming academy don't you yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know it's so, it sounds so strange seeing you're a best-selling author. Can't quite believe it, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Just me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I aim to be one one day. I just haven't got round to it yet. I'll show you how to do it. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> That'd be good. So, um, so you're the, the owner of the Holistic Grooming Academy, and we'll talk about that in a bit later. But I always like to start these sort of chats off with um, just finding out a little bit about yourself, um, how long you've been dog grooming for, what brought you into the industry, et cetera, et cetera. So perhaps you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I started grooming four years ago now. Um, before that, I was a disc jockey for eight years. I ran my own entertainment firm. And basically family life was the, the main kind of motivator for me to change career. Um, obviously, no, no kid wants to see their mum goes to clubs and <laughs> DJs. Um, so I, I realised quite quickly that I had to change career path. Um, and, you know, I spent loads and loads of time thinking about what kind of industry to get into. And the reality is that I felt really good when I spent time with my dogs at home. Um, and obviously having to be in mastiffs, double coats, quite a demanding uh, grooming ritual every night. And I thought, do you know, it actually makes me feel really good doing it. It's quite therapeutic, which was good for my anxiety and my depression. So I thought, why not just do that for a living? And then the rest is history. So I did my training and opened up a salon literally 30 days after. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm jumping into the deep end. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically how I started anyway. So how long we? I'm more. I'm going back to the the disc jockey, the DJ thing because that's actually one of my ambitions is to learn how to do the uh, how to do mixing and stuff like that. So <laughs> what sort of things were you doing? You, you're actually going into nightclubs, playing like big nightclubs and stuff yeah, like that. yeah, relatively big nightclubs. Not too too big a nightclub. I was asked to go and and DJ abroad, but I never ever did it. Uh. <laughs> um, I went to college, I did um, my HND in music and then musical theatre, so it was always very artsy, mm. um, but I had a passion for singing, so I kind of went down that route rather than the kind of mixing industry, so it was more karaoke hosting and quiz nights and things like that, So I was really into kind of engaging with people and engaging with crowds in that sense, mm. um, so I did that for, yeah, for like eight years, um, carried it on even after starting grooming obviously that was my bread and butter at the time yeah. um but what I ended up doing was just subcontracting all my gigs out to different DJs in the area and that became quite a good business just doing that um and that was enough to obviously then support my 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 business and dog grooming as well which was really good so right. I think I only shut that down um well actually after the first lockdown obviously because oh, yeah. obviously all the pubs and clubs shut down so it was no longer business yeah. there unfortunately so hi 
It's really interesting. Things you get to know about people and find out. I don't look like the face of a DJ at all. <laughs> what does a DJ look like? I mean, <laughs> it's quite so, stereotypical, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? Um, so you then took yourself away and uh, learned how to do your, how to go into dog grooming. Um, qualif- qualified qualifications or? Glad you asked that question. <laughs> um, so obviously we all go into to dog grooming different different ways. Yeah. I decided to do my OCN level three diploma through a training centre just up the road from me. So it was thirty days intensive training, um, and I'll be honest. I, I t- I just I didn't enjoy it mm-hmm. I felt like there was lots of things that needed to be covered that weren't um, and I wasn't too confident at the, the other end of it either I wasn't confident enough to sit an exam um, I decided to not take my exam oh, okay. <laughs> right bought a salon um, jumped in the deep end started attending seminars and workshops studying online and practicing as I went um, then I started to learn more about holistic care, uh, canine behaviour, body language, etc. And decided that qualifications just weren't for me at that time, mm-hmm. just because I feel as though they're all quite aesthetic driven. And I was more kind of going down the route of holistic care. So there was a kind of conflict of interest. Um, so I spent the next three years uh, unqualified, yeah. <laughs> but built up a really good successful business in the process of um so a majority of my clients were all very much specific to um you know dogs that required a, a more specialized approach they needed the combination of canine behavior and safe handling not just so it was like more comfort grooms driven than it was breed standard grooms driven yeah. um started publishing you know my findings and what I kind of felt um, holistic grooming was and received quite a lot of whiplash and, <laughs> and it, as a result of that so it became quite controversial in the industry quite quickly which was not what I was expecting um, but you know it's character building at the end of the day but there's a lot uh, of strong opinions out there <laughs> <laughs> yes um, but you know what it's one of those ones that it always kind of rang in the back of my head that no matter what you do, you're still going to have that. You're, you're still going to have people there that are going to say you're not qualified. So, you know, you, you don't really have a leg to stand on. So I taken my, my exam, God, just before lockdown hit and I failed it. <laughs> yeah. That was like, I think, two years after I took my training, I failed it um, because I basically did things the way I believed was right to do it right so I didn't use restraints I gave the dog plenty of breaks in between so I probably went over my time quite a bit (laughs) I didn't touch nails because this dog I didn't feel required it just you know there was quite a lot of things that were marked down Um, and that put me off for ages and I had my you know kind of had my confidence knocked as well at that point so I thought no I'm not going to do it (laughs) it's just not for me um but I've qualified since then so (laughs) in fact I just qualified um when was my last exam it was last week last week so I finally got my qualifications on level three OCN qualified and I did it my way which is even better um just slight adaptions obviously as I've went but 
Um, it's quite funny because the, the lady that examined me, she put on my report, um, <laughs> I passed by 69%. So that's like the cutoff of what you can pass. Um, but she said the only reason why I passed she, at 69% is, and I love this, <laughs> it's because I'm an unorthodox groomer. <laughs> but it's just a compliment to me I think she was quite afraid of saying it to me but I was quite complimented because at the end of the day I passed it and I did it the way that I teach so you know it, it's verification and validation to me that you know there can be two different approaches to grooming and you can still pass your qualification regardless mm -hmm. of which route you go down yeah. Um, so yeah. So I'm I'm finally glad to see that I'm qualified. <laughs> just a pretty qualified yeah, yeah. now. Yes. <laughs> I know. So grooming spotlight. I'm coming for you. <laughs> Excellent. I'm sure they'll be happy to have you on board. Yeah. So what? Um, so where did the? So you you went into the grooming industry, and I completely agree. Like a 30 day course is you know it's intense, isn't it? And ah. there's so much to learn. And there, you know you'll be learning all throughout your career I don't think you ever stop learning yeah. so so 30 days is, is a is a tough challenge isn't it yeah um and I sort of say this to new groomers that come out you know you you, you can't expect to come out of grooming school and then just hit the ground like doing loads yeah. and loads of dogs because it's just not possible is it you don't want yeah. to do that either so so you've come out of um, grooming school you've you've decided not to take your exam what um you're obviously a dog lover and a dog owner. So you've gone, you've started looking into alternative ways of, of grooming dogs or handling yeah. dogs and, and dealing with dogs. Tell us about that. Well, I just wanted to expand on my knowledge base, to be honest, because one of the things I observed while training was that the, the, the use of physical handling restraints kind of took the place of basic observation and communication skills. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just... I wanted to learn more about that part. I wanted to learn how to actually understand what dogs were communicating and how to make it a wee bit more enjoyable for both because it was a very stressful environment um, to work in where I was training in, certainly. Um, it was like a cattle market. with so many dogs there, so many groomers. Um, and you never really got that one-to-one -one service either of you know getting shown how to do things. So it was very much a case of, right, strap the dog up, just get it done as quickly as you can. And if it's aggressive, then give it to a more, like, you know, more experienced groomer. And that made me feel uncomfortable because I felt as though when I'm on my own and I've opened my salon, what do I do then? <laughs> you know, I don't have these people to rely on. So, um, yeah, I decided to go down the route of canine behaviour and um, safe handling. So I went to the ISCP, which is the, the International Academy, no, sorry, the International School of Canine Psychology. Um, and I did a diploma in safe handling and I got a distinction for that. And then that kind of spurred me on to do more. So I went on to do my level five canine behaviour. Um, and then I did that and I passed that as well. And that just made so much of a difference to the way that I was actually working with the dogs in my care. Because I did start off, you know, it was just very much the way I was trained. Lots of, you know, handling devices, whatever. But I just wasn't happy with the results I was getting. Um and it just slowly kind of transitioned to the way that I do things now, the more I learn and mm -hmm. continue to learn, I suppose. So So you went away and, and did some more research and started to yeah. find your own find your own way, isn't it? And find your own yeah. way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of dabbled into Reiki and things like that as well. Cause I'm quite I quite like the holistic approach to things anyway. My husband's a holistic therapist. Oh, I see. Um yeah. 
so it, it, it's very much kind of up my street anyways but it was just trying to make the grooming environment a more enjoyable less stressful experience for everybody mm-hmm. um and, and being an anxious person myself I felt like I needed that um and it, it is I mean it's it is what it is so talk us through um like a dog coming into your care into your into your salon how would your salon perhaps differ to our salon with regards to um holistic sort of ideas and um it, so I'd, I adapt my salon to suit the individual needs of a dog so from the very beginning if I get a quite an inquiry through I first have a phone consultation which is quite a thorough like consultation it's just trying to get an idea of first of all the guardian's expectations because if they are looking for a show standard chin then I'm not going to be right for them I'm not not qualified to do that at all. It's um, probably not right for that either, is it? Because because they're contacting you for a reason, probably. Well, probably yeah, because I I do niche down quite a bit. I have to say, at the beginning I didn't. Um, certainly now I've kind of worked up that reputation in my area that I only specialise now for dogs with you know a past history of bite or you know aggression of some sort. Um, but so there's a there's a consultation on the phone first of all, and that kind of gives me a kind of rough idea of what that dog needs in terms of environment and approach. Mm-hmm. Then they come in for a meet and treat, which is basically completely non-invasive. Um, it's set up with basically ACE free work. I know you've, you've spoke about ACE free work before. So there's ACE free work in the environment all set up for them. And I just sit and speak to the, the guardian on a kind of informal basis. We just get to know one another a wee bit better while I'm observing the dog doing what the dog does, you know. If the dog initiates contact, that's fantastic. If not, it doesn't matter. It's very informal. Um, And then from there, I devise a bespoke care plan. And that's basically just what I think the dog needs based on what I've observed that day. Um, So that could be similar to a puppy university package. um, Mm -hmm. Or it could just be going straight for a bath and a dry. It's just whatever the dog's given me, basically, whatever I'm I'm getting from that. Um, And then we just work our way up. So it's a very individual approach, isn't it? Yeah, it's a slow process initially um, because it's really hard to tell what dogs are going to be able to cope with initially as well. So it is a bit of an experimentation process, um, but it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. I've got a client that comes in to me now, um, Ziggy, who used to have to be sedated every single time, um, bit owners, bit guardians, bit groomers, bit everyone, you know, what ended up happening was that um, through basically trial and error, we realised that one hour appointments were just far too much for that dog. Mm-hmm. And we had to shorten the sessions down. So now he comes to me every two weeks for half an hour. And I'm I'm able to do more in half an hour than I can in a full hour. So mm-hmm. it's just about that adaption of approach um, to suit the individual needs of the dog. So obviously we don't, in your salon, you don't have any restraints or anything like that. Not true. Um, no, that? I do. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I, do you know what it is? I think a lot of the stick I used to get was because, you know, in the canine behaviour world, you're, u- you're using terms like force-free, fear-free, um, you know, stress-free. They're quite misleading. Um, personally speaking, I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible to go force-free, stress-free or fear-free because dogs aren't going to choose to come to the groomers anyway. So you're already forcing them into something with having them there. 
it's just about limiting that stress and making sure you're not going over that emotional threshold. So I use handling restraints if, for example, I have an elderly dog who struggles to stand. Then, a, you know, a really nice thick padded belly strap is ideal for that and short positive bursts. So it's more to do with the approach, how we introduce it. And then obviously how, how long you have that dog there. So it's more to do with relying on your observation. Mm-hmm. Is this dog coping or is he too stressed? Do we need to give him a break and put him down, etc.? Um, and I do obviously do a lot of home floor grooming as well, but it just depends on the individual dog. So rather than um, just going straight for X, Y, and Z, it's like observation on the dog and seeing what what's I happening. think yeah, the initial the initial meeting is definitely all focused on observation, hmm. and you can implement the use of you know treats and things if you're quite savvy about it. You can ask the guardian what kind of treats does he like. You know, you can have that there in place, and you can maybe scatter some on the floor, and they start to build up that positive association with you and treats, and that's just kind of breaking the ice, so to speak. But the initial the initial contact made with a dog to me is his choice, not mine. So now we're kind of we we have a dog come in, and you're like, oh yay, hi! You know, you run up and you give them cuddles and things. I don't do that. I just let the dog come to me, and if he's quite comfortable with that, then we'll proceed to the next step. I was talking to my wife earlier about uh, music in the salon and, and things like that, and how obviously you know if you've got heavy rock going on, maybe uh-huh. that might not be the uh, the most appropriate. Raise your heartbeat, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh-huh. we were just discussing what uh, what they do in the salon, what music they yeah. have, and whether Emma noticed any difference in the dogs, and obviously different music to us can cause us stress. So it must um, be the same. Do you have um, like? Do you play particular music or do you avoid music, anything like that? Again, it depends. If, if I feel like a dog's quite stressed, then I would rather have nothing because obviously something else added into the environment is an, an additional emotional load. Mm. So it could add to the it could add to the kind of anxiety the dog's feeling. If I feel that the dog's not that anxious, then I might. I have a thing called Relaxo Pet. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's like a wee device and it's it's for dogs mm-hmm. and it's like um it's just like it's instrumental. Um, but what happens is it senses when a dog's unsettled and it starts automatically. Mm-hmm. But then when the dog's not like obviously when the dog's fine, it stops playing and it only kind of comes in. And it's a good results actually, but I've heard this really like reggae reggae works really well. <laughs> 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 um, and again, also talking, it could be even just something on the radio that's, you know, just talking could be quite soothing mm-hmm. to a dog as well. But it just all depends on the dog, really. I don't have it there all the time. And about um, smells, because obviously dogs smells very, their sense of smells very oh. powerful. So do you yeah. do anything special in the salon um, for smells? Um, all, my, all my products are as fragrance free as you can get. Mm. Um, I don't use doggy perfumes. I don't use perfumes on myself. Um, I'm probably really smelly, <laughs> but um, it's trying to just reduce the amount of smells that's going on. If we're thinking about from a holistic perspective, we're trying to consider like all the senses combined and how that actually contributes to the emotional baggage that that dog's holding on to. Mm. So it's trying to just remove as many as we can so that it's as neutral as we possibly can. So how, so obviously um, 
having other dogs in the in the environment is a no no, isn't it? Because you're you're like you said, you're trying to remove for all me, that. Yeah, uh, for yeah. me, my my approach certainly is one dog, like one to one. Only since I've obviously learned more at the beginning, I used to take families where mm-hmm. you know they maybe had two or three dogs at a time. Um, and I suppose like I've heard other groomers say they've had great results for bringing in like an older dog with a puppy that they've just brought home and them learning, you know, good behavior and things. And obviously I can't I can't comment on that because I've never had experience with that. But me personally, I just feel like it's a lot better to have that opportunity, especially in the early, like the early days, just to have that one to one time where you can really just dedicate it to the dog and the dog doesn't have to worry about distractions. Mm. Um that being said, I do welcome the guardian in quite a lot as well. But a lot of groomers probably go, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love well, having a guardian there. But do you find that sometimes the, the stress that the, the guardian has, that starts to rub off on, onto the pet? You know, they come through the door like clutching their their little pet saying he's not gonna like it they're not gonna <laughs> like it they're gonna hate it i'm so sorry for bringing you here you know oh bless no do you know i think i think that's why the meet and treat is so important though hmm. because they're coming to the environment the first time round a lot more relaxed because they, they know that there's no grooming going to take place you know so they're coming there to go right okay we're just having an informal chat my dog's going to get to chill out he's going to get to walk around blah 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 i don't have to worry so much about this and then you can then use that time to kind of reassure them this is how the process is going to go. You know, don't worry about anything. We're not going to push them over threshold, etc. And you're just putting that kind of peace of mind there that mm. they don't have to worry and stress so much, you know. Um, so I think having that meet and treat service, and I know that more and more groomers these days are doing them. It's just giving them that opportunity to put their minds at rest. Well, not just that, it's also sort of meeting the customer and making sure you, you want to work with the customer as well, isn't it? Also safety aspect. Yeah. You know, when you're working one-to-one, because, well, when I worked in the salon, I used to have a, a high street salon and now I work from home. But um, in the high street salon, oh, there's always a kind of concern in the back of my mind as well, because you don't know who you're welcoming in to your salon, first of all, especially being one-to-one. Um, so just making sure that you feel comfortable and relaxed, you know, meeting strangers and, and what kind of safety measures you have in place to make sure that you feel safe. Mm, <laughs> it's, like, it's a big, big topic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. Being a lone worker. So yeah. you um, obviously you, you created this 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 business, holistic grooming, and you, this little niche for yourself where you are and I'll take it uh, other groomers recommend you for particular um, dogs yeah. that are having issues the vets sort of got involved yeah. but they recommending you as well yeah I've got a good relationship with vets um, which is really good because they're probably where the majority of my dogs come from mm-hmm. um, if not the vets other behaviorists in the area or other groomers like you say but it's a tip for tap because I also recommend lots of dogs to other groomers I know my capabilities as a stylist versus my approach for handling. So if I think that a dog's confident enough to, you know, have a more breed standard like trim, then I'll definitely recommend. And I've got loads of groomers in the area that I would recommend, you know, so mm. who are all kind as well. It's not like I'm saying, you know, I'm the only person that's, that's shoot your dog good. It's not that at all. It's getting getting people to understand that there's a difference between 
you know, what I'm doing with, you know, dogs that have got quite deep rooted trauma and things like that compared to, you know, taking them to somewhere that's more commercial based and more conventional and um, yeah. that difference. <laughs> I suppose the way I saw it is you'd have a dog that comes along with um, particular issues that need working with. You've got the time and the setup to, to help yeah. that dog get over those issues. Sometimes that dog will get over them. And I, I take it that's where you then say, right, you, you've kind of been rehabilitated. I don't know. That's that, yeah. word. It's yeah. time to move on to a, a, a high street yeah. or a commercial groomer. Um, but this dog is, you know, it's too deep. In, it's too too deep the problems are too deep so yeah. it's going to stay yeah. yeah yeah I mean ideally in an ideal world I'd love for all groomers to to implement the approach that I teach because I think it would benefit every single person I genuinely do and I think it's trying to just kind of make it clear what we're actually promoting and what we're teaching so that people aren't put off straight away because they hear the word holistic or they hear the words force-free or fear-free or whatever and they they suddenly put their hackles up and they're like, no, 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 um, not possible, dangerous, blah, blah, blah. And it's really not. Um, It's just about adapting your approach slightly um, for your more anxious dogs, but there are cases where a dog's going to be that, you know, deeply traumatised that they're not going to be able to handle commercial setup at all. Mm. Um, and they do need a more one-to-one service. So it might be even just being able to, to spot that or being able to, yeah. uh, to understand that and then yeah. being, being having that conversation with the owner or the guardian saying, I don't think this is going to work out for your dog because of X, yeah. Y, and Z sort of thing. Yeah. So um, what inspired you to open your, the academy and, and teach this? It's... Lockdown, first of all, okay. <laughs> and being bored stiff. Um, obviously, everyone was struggling over lockdown. Um, but I just think I'm, I'm just really passionate about handling and canine behaviour. And I think that that's just a massive gap in the market. And I think that lockdown brought a really good opportunity for groomers to learn more about it because they didn't have anything else to do, really. And hopefully all of them got a wee bit of money as well behind them. <laughs> so um, government uh, funding and whatnot. So I, I was hoping, I was counting on people having a wee bit of money spare to kind of invest in a different approach to their education. So you know how we're usually kind of invested in our seminars for practical. I wanted them to try and kind of tap into the theory behind canine behaviour. So I wanted to introduce something that was reputable that people would start kind of um shown interest in so tell us about the course that you offer so the course at the moment um is cpd approved and accredited through the complementary medical association which is an international organization so it's backed by cpd uk and the cme which is really good and that, that, that's no that's no mean feat either is it because I've, I've looked at cpd and it's it's a difficult thing to be done to get going and, and to put the course through it's the paperwork, I think it is. It's, it's the paperwork and having the right structure and having the right marking criteria to make it all fair and concise. Um, but to be honest, I'm a geek. So it, it, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like, yes, you know, um, I can, can wait to get started. Um, but, you know, once it's done, it's done. And then you just have to pay your fees each year and make sure you're consistent with it. And that's it. But um, it's online based, so it's distance learning. And it combines practical and theory so it is quite advanced it's a 12 month course so it's technically 10 right 10 
we give you 10 months, but we usually extend it to 12, um, just in case you have resubmissions and, and whatnot. And each student has their own designated tutor who's also very experienced in the field of holistic grooming. So right now it was just me because it was me that pioneered the approach, obviously. But now I've got two more tutors on board, which is amazing. And they're they're awesome. Um, and what happens then is the students go through a series of 10 units and they all cover different aspects of what I believe holistic grooming is. Um, and they they have to do an assessment at the end of each one. And the assessment, like I said, is a combination of theory. So it is essay based. Mm-hmm. and Harvard reference based <laughs> um, but also a series of practical demonstrations so whether you do it um, I'm actually thinking of doing live zooms the way that obviously all the other kind of centres do but right now it's pre-recorded yeah. and they just send it in and it means then it takes the pressure off them because I hate exams um, and it was just some you know a different approach to obviously compensate for people's nerves and things like that um, so that's that's it at, at the moment. However, um, <laughs> I have been working hard to get it into an official qualification. So rather than just CPD points, it would be the equivalent of a level, what did I say? I wrote it down. It would be equivalent of a level six off qual. But I'm doing it through the Scottish Qualifications Authority because I'm Scotland-based, obviously. But it's internationally recognised anyway, so you can take it anywhere and still mean the same. So it's currently going through the process of being approved for official qualification status. So level six, that's quite high, isn't it? Level. It's it's technically a degree, like a bachelor's degree, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, but it's it's a long, it's a lengthy process as well. Um, but uh, the, the SQ got in touch with me two weeks ago to say that that's the Holistic Grooming Academy now being authorised as an SQA approved centre. So that's the first step ticked. Um, and the next step now is just to get it through that label. But I don't think they see any problems, so that's exciting. Um, yeah. So what's what's um, a level six going to look like? Is it going to be? Um, do you know the like, or can you say it? What it's going to look like to teach? They'll have to. They'll have to go away and work out what I need to do to add on to it. Um, mm-hmm. But it will have to probably be a wee bit more bulkier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might have to add some substance to it. But the target market for the qualification isn't for already qualified groomers because obviously they've invested loads of money in their qualification anyway. So the the ideal kind of step forward for those people would be the CPD course, which is £999, Mm -hmm. right? This qualification would be the equivalent of your qualifications in practical styling because it's going to have to cover an aspect of practical grooming, isn't it? Yeah. So the only difference it's going to have is rather than focusing on breed standard trims, it's going to be focusing all on comfort grooms and pet trims. So it's very much holistic and welfare based mm-hmm. rather than breed standard based. So it's more of a niched qualification, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So it must make sense. <laughs> 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 so first time some this is the first time I actually talked about it. Exclusive. <laughs> so I don't even know if I'm explaining it right, but I'm really excited about it. I do think it's a massive market. There's so many groomers that have contacted me saying if that had been, if there had been a holistic grooming qualification mm-hmm. when they first started, they would have taken that over, 
you know the level three OCN or whatever it was taken. So, are there, are there um, you know any requirements being a level six? Do you need any educational requirements to then take it? Do you know? Or? I would just say experience probably. Um, it's obviously going to have quite a lot of written um, and theory. Yeah. So if you can't obviously commit to the academic structure of it, then it probably wouldn't be for you. Um, so probably will be, that's their job to come back and tell me, to be honest, whether or not it might be a case of GCSEs or whatever it is that they might need to have beforehand to do it. Um, the good thing about it is it's a customised award, technically speaking, so it means then that I've got exclusive rights to it. Mm -hmm. So it means no other training centre can take it on and teach it unless I give them permission to, which you is need, good. You need to licence it out. Yeah. Yeah. And will you be looking to do that, like um, the rest of the UK, Ireland? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the SQ have already said that it can be internationally um, taught as well. So it will have, you know, credence over overseas because a lot of my clients, a lot of my students, sorry, are overseas. Right. Like America based and uh, Philippines and where's the other? Like Canada. Um, but yeah, I would say so. Yeah. There's got to be some trips coming up to uh, go out and um, investigate. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to put it through my business. Okay, just go on holiday. Um, yeah, so I think I, I do want to have other training centres, but they have to be the right fit. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have been approached by other awarding bodies asking to take the course on for me. Um, and it just, it didn't sit right with me because I felt as though it would become quite, it would quite quickly become a money-making scheme, you know, and people would just have it there just to make more money and I don't want it to be I want it to try and be quite affordable for everybody mm -hmm. um, but only being taught to the people that are genuinely interested in the approach I think you're gonna have to be I think you, okay. it's gonna it's gonna be aligned with your values and it's gonna yeah. sit like like you said the, the qualification that you took didn't sit right with you no. And I think other people will resonate with that sometimes. And everyone's yeah. obviously different, but I think it's going to have to be something that you really sort of want want to do or it yeah. sparks that interest. It's a, it's a really tough approach to have. It, it mm. is because initially it's the, it's the time it takes initially to try and build up a dog's confidence again, mm -hmm. where you could easily just strap them up and just put muzzle on them and just do it, you know, quick and quickly kicking a band-aid to strip it off. Um, whereas this process is very much, you know, working in cooperation tactics and things and really just seeing that kind of gradual and consistent difference every single time. But long-term, it just makes the biggest difference. What, what I find um, sort of really interesting about the whole pet grooming industry. So my wife started her business in 2005. So I've sort of been watching it over those years and how... The last, I don't know, correct me, five, six, eight years, it is just kind of everything's kind of exploded. Yeah. And there's so much to the industry now than, than what maybe there was you know, yeah. 17 years ago. There's so much um, niche markets, there's so much choice in what you can do. I mean, yeah. equipment alone is just like exploded oh. as well, isn't it? You spend a bloody fortune. <laughs> like, here's one for you. I'll show you what I just recently bought, and you're going to look at me and go, Blank. I haven't a clue what it's for, right? But wait. Wait, I'll show you. Oh. It's a Pilates ball, right? And it's not for me. 
It's well, for dogs, right? <laughs> so say you've got a dog that's got hip dysplasia and can't stand for any length of time, but the pressure of a belly strap, for example, is maybe too much for them. Then you can place an appropriate size Pilates balls underneath the stomach and that gives them enough padding and support. Just the same way, yeah. like a belly band would to basically yeah. support them in a stance position while you're working on them. But they have all the feeling of everything around the sides and exactly, yeah. Restricted, yeah. So that was that was the one I bought last week. <laughs> we used it. No, not yet, because I'm on the turn to leave now. <laughs> Although I'll put it maybe try it on my wee poodle actually. Um she's looking at she's like, no, no. <laughs> you try that no. try it with my Labrador and she'll just eat it. Probably think it's a toy, wouldn't they? It was yeah. actually it was a it was a summit that I, I attended, um Dr. Well, what was her name? She's a holistic doctor, like a holistic vet, and she uses it in her practice. And she was demonstrating it on a an aesthetic Labrador, and it it worked. It actually worked. It was Tai Chi or something she did for dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool. And she used them instead of like your your belly straps. And the dog actually was. You could see the dog relax on the ball. Hmm. And I just thought, you know, that's a really good approach to implement into the grooming environment where appropriate, you know, some dogs that might not be, you know, appropriate for them. Um, it's all adaption, isn't it? Well, I suppose, I mean, the vets must be going through a similar revolution rev- yeah. as we are, you know, with with different thought, schools of thoughts, different ways of doing things. Um, hydrotherapy, like you said, hmm. like all the different therapies that they're starting to explore and, and use on animals. Yeah, definitely. I think groomers as well, I think usually we don't really have a good relationship with vets or we don't tend to. I think we get talked down to quite a bit as well. Um, what I've found is the more I've highlighted this approach to like surrounding vets and, and different pet professionals is that actually, you know, we're in a very good position to, you know, be you know, really good assets to their businesses because we're seeing them regularly so we can see the changes can't we yeah. we can identify the early signs of you know distress or illness or whatever it is so I think it's, it's I think they're having kind of that epiphany now where they're starting to recognize groomers as a valuable asset to their business as well I hope so and you know that there's many groomers that will be watching this or in the group that have saved pets lives because they've oh, found yeah lumps, bumps and, and yeah. conditions and referred them to the vets or asked the, the guardian yeah. to take them to the vets. You know, it should be a joined yeah. up. And I, I, you know, and I think there's some respect, I hope there's some respect down in our way because we've actually opened the vets. <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> we actually employ a vet now on a, on a Monday. So obviously that, vet's got, <laughs> that vet's got enough respect. Uh-huh. Um, to come and work, work in a pet groom is offering um, vaccination clinics and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. And it's all the more important. That, that That's my point as well. It's all the more important for groomers to be aware of, of canine behaviour and mm-hmm. communication because it's the early signs of illness that are significant. Because obviously dogs are so stoic. They're maybe in pain for years or even months, but maybe even years before anything's actually identified whereas we're in that really valuable position where we can identify the kind of early signs of disease and illness before it's advanced um so having those kind of skills to actually pick up on subtle changes to their behavior and and how they kind of you know react to different touches and whatever is very significant 
So we've talked a lot about dogs. Is there any other, you know, cats? Do, do you do you go anywhere near cats? I personally don't tra- train. I was going to say train cats. I don't train cats. I don't groom cats. Um, however, the Holistic Grooming Academy um, are very interested in cats. And we have um, brought on board a really experienced cat groomer, um, Holistic Cat Groomer. And she's wrote her own course for the HGA, um, which is going through accreditation at the moment. So that's really exciting um, because yeah, they deserve it as well, and it's it's kind of kind of more demand for it now as well. I found um, so yeah, I've learned a lot while editing her course. <laughs> so maybe one day. <laughs> so will that be a, will that be dogs and cats combined, or will you take a separate um, separate courses? So separate modules. Yeah. The the cat one that she's written is a certificate level, so it's slightly less advanced, and it's for already practicing cat groomers so Mm -hmm. cat groomers already know the technique and the different you know the different blades and things to use in comparison to dogs etc so they already have that behind them Mm -hmm. and this is just kind of more focused on how to make it more holistic and cat centered yeah i see cool so you got all that going on and you're just about to have your third child <laughs> oh, okay. You don't, you don't rest, and I can tell that you don't rest because, like I said earlier, you're you're a best-selling author as well of yeah. um, a couple of books. Tell us, hey, what motivated you to go out and, and write some books? I was right. The first book, so the magical holistic grooming, was dipping my toes into the industry, this sector of the industry. So it was before I launched the academy, mm-hmm. and it was just to get a feel for what people's responses would be. Because obviously I didn't want to. It's really expensive to take your qualification through that process. I didn't want to invest without having an actual interest in it. So the yeah. book was basically a stepping stone to that. Didn't expect it to go as well as it did, but it did. And I was thankful for it, obviously. The, excuse me, I'm burping. This is horrible. Pregnancy, <laughs> I'm blaming it on. <laughs> um, the, the children's picture book was just being a parent, obviously, and knowing more about canine behaviour living in a multi-dog household it's such an important topic and because I love writing it just made sense to publish one um and I'm in the process of publishing my next book yeah (laughs) yeah but this one's I think this one you like though it's like it's less texty so a lot of people were saying that you know the idea and the concept of the book was good but they just couldn't concentrate in text so this well, one's this more... Is, sorry, the, the holistic groomer one. Yeah, uh-huh. Whereas this one's more, kind of more putting it into a photo reference manual so that they can actually quickly refer to. Mm-hmm. So what does Stephanie mean by that? Okay, I can look it up and there's the pictures to, to demonstrate it step-by-step step type thing. Hmm. Um, so that's what that, that will be uh, coming soon. <laughs> and it, you know, you looked at getting your books onto Audible. Can we listen to them? Anything like that? Have you looked at that? I thought about it. I've got a, I've got a Yeti mic, but I just don't. I'm not comfortable with my voice, so <laughs> <laughs> I might hire someone to do it. Maybe. No, uh, no I, I think I actually. I mean, I listen to a lot of Audible and um, uh, audio books, and I think that they they're completely different when you have the author reading them. Do you think yeah, so? Yeah, because because you you pick up on different tones and you right. you'll express things differently to how a um just a, a normal employed reader would would ah uh, see so your point yeah 
So okay. just go and say it and do it safe. <laughs> it's got to be you, you know, whilst your your baby in one hand, your microphone in the other. I know, screaming <laughs> babies, barking dogs. Uh, <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? But yeah, no, that you should be writing a book. Well, the advice yeah. you give. Yeah, I, I'm a bit trapped at the moment because um, I suppose I've left a, a, I've left a career in the police. So I've got 19 years worth of um, policing in me um, to write about potentially uh, and I, uh, I actually thought of the first couple of paragraphs the other the other night actually and and uh, it starts with um I looked over to my mate and said I've had enough of this <laughs> everyone goes through that moment don't they although policing's quite a tough industry isn't it I can remember the day it was a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening uh and we just um I was just getting out of an ambulance because a, a burglar was trying to die on me and uh, I said, I looked to my friend um, Jack and just said, "I've had enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> I've really had enough of it." So I thought that was quite a good opening um, a paragraph to it. But um, it's funny. <laughs> sorry, it's funny as well, isn't it? In a way, I mean, the whole story was was kind of well, I don't know. Was, he, he didn't die. That's the main thing. So, That's good. Um, so I've got the, the policing side, but yes, it's definitely working on plans for a book around um, the business program and how to help um, people uh, with business. And I'm I'm trying to um, strong arm the other mentors that I work with, Robin, Lauren, Zoe, yeah. Louise, to all come on board and write like a couple of chapters each um, really all around how we, we deliver our sort of business program. But the book, the book thing scares me a little bit. It's a, it's a big commitment in my eyes. It's actually not though. It's not. See if you just do like a chapter a day or a chapter every couple of days. It's actually because we I signed up to a program. It was, um, it was like a ninety day challenge type thing. So I had literally ninety days to write the book. Mm. Um, but it kind of pushes you into it because if if you know what you want to write, it kind of flows anyway. And see, as soon as you stop thinking about it, it just flows. Um, yeah. so yeah and it's really easy to self-publish so is that what you did with your um the dog detective book dog detective one was more of a headache than the first book because okay. the dog detective one is a stupid dimension <laughs> <laughs> and I can't get it on Amazon so you find me twice maybe well, sometimes twice a week running to the post office having to deliver the books so <laughs> Tell us a little bit about it. What, what's the book about? The Dog Detective one is all about safe interaction between children and dogs. Um, so it's literally, it's an interactive and fun educational resource. It has to be educational if it's me. Um, educational resource for children. And I would say probably ages four to nine. Um, and I'll show you in fact, I've got it. I'll show you, I'll show you inside it. Um, so, oh, my nearly fell. So recently I've put together these things here. So it's like a, a it's like an activity pack. Yeah. So it comes with a weird magnifying glass um, because of detectives, obviously. Um, and throughout the book, there's magnifying glass prompts to different signals that the dog is giving off in each page. So the idea behind it is for the parent or the carer to say to the child, okay, so what do you see? here what do you think the dog's happy in this one or you know it's taking them through it step by step and it's and it's kind of showing them kind of common scenarios from within the family home but also out with the family home and how best to approach the dog in those circumstances so it's, it's really fun and it features all 
well, three of my dogs are featured in it, um, and some of my clients' dogs are featured in it. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, <behaviors>. uh, yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, my wee, my wee dog that passed away, Jessica, she's featured in it as well. So I'm glad that I featured her. I was uh, going to mention it. Uh, I know. I know. Do you know? It's a part of life, isn't it? But you just don't realise how much it affects you when it, until it happens, and then you just think, but that was a learning curve as well, because I always say, you know your dog better than anybody else. And for months I'd been saying there's something wrong with, with Jess. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just subtle things in our behaviour, like I said, it was different. And, um, you know, the, the vets were, like, well, who do you think you are? You're not a vet. <laughs> you know, Stephanie, shoot, you know, go away. Um, but they did do tests and everything, but they just kept coming back inconsistent um, to the point where I actually... I asked to go to a specialist, so found a specialist in Glasgow. Um, it, honestly, it was horrible. Went to the specialist in Glasgow and told me to go away for them to do scans and whatever of her, her bladder. 20 minutes later, they phoned me and they said, Stephanie, you need to come back. It's not good news. So I came back and they said, you know, she's still under sedation right now because we had to take a urine sample directly from her bladder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also give her a wee kind of abdominal scan as well. And they found it was um, transitional cell sarcicoma, carcicoma, sarcicoma, basically bladder cancer. Yeah. Um, so advanced stages, you know, so I had been, you know, there for a while um, and gave me the options. Literally, she wasn't going to last, you know, more than a week um, and said to me, you know, probably kind of just euthanizing her while she's under. So I went to get my husband who was waiting outside, obviously bawling, <laughs> and came back and said, okay, let's bring her through. And she'd already passed. Oh, wow. So yeah. it was just a shock, I think, that, you know, but it just makes you realise that if you've got that niggle, just to keep pushing for it because there's obviously something wrong, you know. Yeah. Um, Animals and humans. Exactly, yeah. So I would never, ever say to a client that came in if they said you know my dog's not feeling right or whatever I would never just brush it off I'd always say to them well if you think that you need to take them to the vets you know yeah Yeah. well I did promise I wasn't going to bring that up (laughs) (laughs) I've not cried though so it's a good thing (laughs) so uh what age range is the the dog detective book from about four years to nine years I would say and how do people get hold of it through me, directly through me. So because I have to ship it individually, <laughs> I tried to I tried to put it through once a month, but it was like bundles that was having to, and it was quite a lot of like kind of lifting about and stuff. So I just now send it as and when I get an order. Yeah, um, yeah. And I do, I literally live like two minutes from town, so it's not too bad. Um, yeah, wheelbarrow full of books going down <laughs> I town. A, suitcase, a big bean suitcase. I would take it. Just looked ridiculous. <laughs> there must be a better way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to investigate. But um, ideally, I'm looking for a publishing company to take it on because then it'll be easier for me then that way. Um, well, if anyone's listening, <laughs> that owns a publishing. <laughs> no, if you're a publishing company, please take me on. <laughs> um, but yeah. So if people obviously want to um, start investigating holistic grooming, then the magic of Holistic grooming is probably a, the first sort of portal call. We get in the book of Amazon. Um, so they just uh, have a look at 
the magic of holistic grooming and then the cbd course um i'd say that you've got a website that you can they can go on to, to yeah. yeah i mean they can they can find a course on cpd uk website itself because it's mm-hmm. there obviously um otherwise they can go on to the thinkific page which is quite a lengthy one so i'd probably be better typing it up on the, <laughs> the thread yeah, but, um, <laughs> it's quite like courses.holisticgroomingacademy.com that's it but I'll write it up anyways in case anyone is interested but it isn't for everyone like I say I mean it is a niche but I think that everyone could benefit from it Mm -hmm. Um, definitely um so yeah and then watch this space for your level six yeah so hopefully that well I'm meeting them on the 7th of June um to see where we're at with the the process of getting it officially um and I'm also in the process of negotiating with an insurance company as well so that it's definitely insurable because I would never have it there if I thought that you couldn't get insurance for it if you know what I mean so um but they seem pretty optimistic too so hopefully by next year then what obviously you've got to go and have your your third child I don't know I might just I know I might pass out with the stress and just never go back to work again but um no I don't know what's what's coming next I think I'm just quite happy teaching at the moment and just and I'm so happy I've got qualified now as well because it's one less thing for people to throw in my face <laughs> so, a weight off your shoulders it's a massive weight so do I mean I just just little changes to it that's all it needed I'm quite happy now that I passed in my terms so yeah, yeah. cool well we'll let you go and uh leave you to your evening thank you very much for coming on oh thank you Bill. no honestly I was looking forward to it yeah and speaking about holistic grooming and uh hopefully we'll catch up probably next year now um to see when the how the qualification is coming along thank you very much thank you everyone for listening as well (laughs) as you are (laughs) (laughs) see you later bill take care take care bye-bye